Welcome to Wave Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wavefamily.church. Uh, now, how many of you guys have ever thought that you knew something just to find out that you didn't? You know, like that happens a lot, right? Um, I think that happened to a lot of us who were pulling for the Chargers last night. Like, we got someone laughing already. I just can't, can never talk about them without someone laughing. The Chargers are my team, by the way, but it seemed that they had the game won. In fact, I was talking to Robert. He's like, I stopped watching because it, it looked like they had it done. Our wisdom says one thing. Reality says, nope, and they end up losing you know, the game anyway. That's just one example of when, when we think we have it figured out and then life kind of catches us by surprise, right? Today we're going to talk about wisdom. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be wise. Where does wisdom come from? In fact, I was going to do a compare and contrast about the worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, but there's really no comparison, so it's just a contrast. Okay, so we're going to look into that today. Uh, Theodore Levitt, He's a professor at a Harvard Business School, says, experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from what we have done badly. Yeah. I think we can relate to that. I think it's easier for us to think back and remember those moments that we've, we've messed up big time. Excuse me, my, it's my beard. Okay. Um, and we learn from those situations, don't we? We become wiser because we have done a few things badly and we recognize them, but that's the key is to be able to recognize that. Excuse me, guys. <clears throat> so there's different levels of wisdom as well, yeah? Like when you have a conversation with someone, you might gather different levels of wisdom, different sources of wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from textbooks. There's wisdom that comes from conversation. There's wisdom that comes from uh, just an example, right? So when I talk to someone who's older, the wisdom that comes out of that person will sound different from a wisdom that comes from a child, yeah? And did you know that children can be wise? They are wise in their ways according to what they learn and what they've done poorly. And uh, they, there's, they're actually kind of fascinating, the things that process. This is how we learn. This is how we grow up. This is how we become better just life, right? Like, for example, uh, someone who's older, an older man, let's say an elderly man would say something like this. And listen to these wise, wise words. In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Now, wouldn't that be weird coming from a child? Right? But the fact that, com that this is coming from someone older, by the way, Abraham Lincoln said this, it means that this person has experienced a thing or two. And so what they're saying should be considered. Okay, this person's speaking wise words here. I think it's true, you know, it's not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years. That really provokes deep thought. Now, as opposed to a child's wisdom, nevertheless, it's good stuff. Let me give you some examples. Patrick, 10-year-old Patrick says, and you can, t you can t tell, They've learned from what they've done poorly. Patrick says, never trust a dog to watch your food. That's pretty, that's pretty good advice, right? Michael, 14-year-old, says, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look dumb to you? Don't answer. 
right? Joel, 10-year-old Joel says, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a bat. All right? That's wisdom from a child, a 10-year-old child. Talia, 11-year-old says, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> Mitchell, 10 years old, says, don't sneeze in front of your mom when you're eating a cracker. And Michael, 14 years old, says, never tell your mom her diet's not working. <laughs> All right? This is wisdom from children. It's humorous. We laugh about it because there's a lot of truth that comes from this, and we can tell these children know these things because of what they've experienced, because they've done something poorly. And so from this experience, they gather this level of wisdom where they have these, we can call them proverbs, right? And knowing how to move forward in life. In fact, we have a book called Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. And in this book, we have wisdom and folly characterized as a lady, lady wisdom, lady folly. Why? Because there is a contrast between the two. And there is such a thing as a resource from lady wisdom and lady folly. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But what is wisdom? I think that's an important question to ask. And one of my favorite theologians, J.I. Packer, uh, he wrote in, in, in his book, Knowing God, he defined wisdom. And I like his definition of wisdom, so I'm going to share it with you. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. You see that? It's the ability to see the best and highest goal and the surest means of attaining it. It's wisdom. But the best and highest goal can be defined differently depending on who you ask. Right. So for some individuals, the best and highest goal could look like something it could look like something like this. The best and highest goal for me would be to become very popular, a millionaire and a famous YouTuber. I think that a lot of people aspire to do that nowadays. That to them would be like the best and highest goal, as opposed to another would say that the best and highest goal would be to be freed from materialism and to be able to give all I have and live simply. And they're so different, right? But again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And so the best and highest goal is a very interesting to consider. What is that for you? What is the best and highest goal to you? Have you thought about that? Because whatever that is, you're going to go and search for wisdom to be able to attain that, to be able to achieve that. And so that's Definitely a very important thing to have in our minds as we continue to grow, as we continue to be sanctified. Uh, now, the truth is, as I mentioned, there are two kinds of wisdom. And there's, it's basically it. There's wisdom from below and there's wisdom from above. That's it. That's what we find in the Bible. Today's sermon title is Worldly Wisdom versus Godly Wisdom. Now, kids, I'm going to say the, world, the word worldly a lot and the word godly a lot and the word wisdom a lot. See, I just said those right now, so you can tally those right now. Now, if you don't know, kids have these tally marks. They keep track of how often I say certain words, so I'm going to help them out here today. Now, another area in which we are to produce good works is in our attitude and our disposition to others, and this is according to what we've been reading from James. 
Remember, James started uh, this letter, I, I would say, in chapter 2. He spoke of the sin of partiality, and then he goes into faith without works is dead. And a continuation of that is it's not just about what we do, but what we said. So it's very important to be able to tame the tongue. Um, and then out of that, it's okay, it's more than just our actions. It's more than just what we say. It's about where we find the wisdom to be able to know how to act and to know what to say. And so it affects our disposition. It affects our attitudes. Where we get our wisdom really will define us. And there's a, a divine wisdom that we ought to embody that yields peaceful relationships. And then there's also this alternate wisdom. It's this selfish ambition and disorder uh, that you'll find in relationships and everything else th that you do. And it stems from the wisdom from below. So let's, let's read James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. That's our, our area of focus today. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time in your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us gain wisdom from this. We know that your word is truth, and through your word we attain this, Lord. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us have a prepared heart, Lord Jesus, to receive from you, that these words of wisdom would not just come in and go out, but that they would go in and really produce good fruit, that we would be able to exemplify you, Lord Jesus, well each and every day of our lives. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. All right, so there's a clear contrast here between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. I'm going to be honest with you guys. My wife can attest to this. I, went in, I, I anticipate the passages that are coming up, and so I read them, and I, and I have a general idea of what they are, and then I go in and do my study. I thought I had a general idea of what this was, and so I wrote a sermon. And as I'm really studying and digging in further and further, I realized that's not what it's about. You know? And so I had to scratch everything and start over. And that's happened to me a few times. And that was actually a really good example. Like the Lord allowed me to see that and to experience that, to realize, whoa, dude, it's not what you have to say. It's what I have to say. And I thought, God, you always come through. You always give me an opportunity to live out the sermon that I'm about to preach, right? And so I'll tell you, I'll be the first to confess. I read this and I thought, oh, this is great. This is going to be one of those sermons where I pull up a lot of Proverbs and tell you all these wise sayings so that we could be wise, right? But to the contrary, this is not about that. This is a, a contrast between the two wisdoms that are accessible to us in this world. And I think it's important to really consider this. And not I'm not going to talk about those wise sayings that we normally hear in church, right? And from Proverbs, I'm really going to focus on, okay, what is the difference here? And what do we, we need to be aware of? There's a definitely a, a clear contrast between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And so what I want to do is take a look at the roots of each, the origins. Where do they come from? 
This scripture says there's one from above and the one that's not from above. So where are they coming from? As well as the reflections. What, of these, what do each of these reflect in life? Uh, what do they look like? What is the outcome of them? And then we will also close with the results of each. Worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. So first things first, let's look at the roots, the origins. And I'm going to jump in this passage to, to kind of make sense of this. So the first thing we want to consider is demonic versus pure is the language that James gives us in regards to these two different wisdom. Now you should note that wisdom was a very important thing to Jewish people, especially those who were dispersed. It was very important for them because they lived among a group of people called the Hellenists, the Greeks, there was a lot of philosophy. There was a lot of logic that was really being surfaced and coming out. And so if you were a Jew, you didn't want to fall back in that. And so to have wisdom, to have knowledge was very important. But it was also very true that knowledge itself was insufficient, that there was a layer or a, 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 um, a form of wisdom that needed to accompany that. Because we could quote facts all day. I think that a lot of us are capable of doing that. You know, like... Um, like, uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I tend to be very good at trivia. I have all these random facts in my brain, and, and some of them I still don't know what to do with. You know what I mean? Like, some things I know, and I don't know why I know it, and I don't know what's gonna be, why it's going to be useful someday. But there are things that I have found use for, right? But then that's, that's the point is knowledge requires wisdom for it to become useful, and so the Jews knew this, especially those who were dispersed, especially those who were being challenged constantly. And then there was this realization that um, they needed to uh, really acquire this. And so I'm going to tell you this, you know, sometimes smarts is not enough, right? We know that. Like I've learned a few things that have made me really smart. I learned from Schoolhouse Rock. How many of you guys grew up with Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, I knew I learned from Schoolhouse Rock that knowledge is power. Yeah? Did you guys learn that from squats? And then I learned from Spider-Man that with great power comes great responsibility. Therefore, I am so smart. And so see, this is good information, right? And so I can say I'm smart for knowing these things. We all know smart things. We all may know smart people. We all know intelligent people. Some of us probably have come across paths with geniuses. And yet, we can also see that some of these smart genius type people are seemingly unable to carry out the simple tasks of life. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how they can run computers or code programs, but they can't run their own lives? It kind of, it's kind of like children nowadays. Like they're able to edit videos and make all these things happen on smartphones and tablets and devices, but they don't even remember to brush their teeth. You know, and there's grown people like that. And so what is that? That's a result of a lack of wisdom. Wisdom is the ticket. We need to get some of that. We need wisdom, not just smarts. Proverbs uh, 4, 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight, okay? So it goes beyond knowledge. Get insight as to what is that useful for? And James continues to address those who wanted to be teachers. Remember in chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you all know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. What this tells us is that there were people, a tremendous amount of people, it says many, who wanted to be teachers. They were very interested in that status climb. And they were not considering the tremendous responsibility that 
that is required of a teacher because it's not enough to just simply stand in front of somebody and say a few words. You must have something to say. You know, a lot of people, not so much nowadays, but we used to be teased a lot as pastors. You guys only work one, 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 once a week, right? You guys only work on Sunday. It's not like we, at least I don't have the Bible memorized and I don't know everything about the scriptures. I don't just come up here and start telling you things. There's preparation that's required, right? Because I, there's this understanding that there's a responsibility to God's word. You're not hearing my wisdom. There's nothing for me to tell you. I've got nothing. I don't have a YouTube channel or anything because I got nothing for you, all right? But what I do have, and the reason why I'm up here is because we have the word of the Lord and we have this responsibility to declare it, to proclaim the truths of the scriptures, the truths of the gospel. It is not my wisdom that I relate here. It is not my knowledge, but it is the Lord's. Now, that's the responsibility that we have, and we're going to be judged accordingly to the Lord is what uh, James is saying. But... This is something very important to know. I've read this, and I don't know who said it, but whoever said it is really smart and apparently really wise. So I want to share this. Knowledge enables us to take things apart, but wisdom enables us to put things together and relate God's truth to daily's life. Man, when I read this, I was like, yeah, that's right. Like, Like, I think you and I will relate. When we want to know how something works, we'll take something apart. You know, like a lot of people are also deconstructing their faith. They're trying to make sense of things that they couldn't make sense before. Knowledge does that and enables us to be able to take things apart. But it takes wisdom to be able to put them together, you know, and especially according to God's truth in everything that we do each and every day. Now, that's very important. And so where do we get that? That's very, very crucial, right? Knowledge takes us apart. Wisdom puts it back together. I think the first thing we need to realize is that wisdom is different, I think, you know, absolutely in its roots, in its origins. True wisdom is from above and worldly wisdom is from below. Worldly wisdom being a false wisdom and godly wisdom being the true wisdom. If there is a true type of wisdom, by default, there is a false wisdom. And I would say it is more of an illusion of wisdom. And we'll talk more about this. In other words, there's a heavenly wisdom that comes from God, and there's a man-made wisdom that doesn't come from God. So we have to think, what is our highest goal, our achievement, our desire, and where are we attaining the wisdom to be able to achieve that? So whatever does not come from God, and I think that a lot of us have begun to see this, usually is destined to fail. You know, and the things that do come from God seem to be quite successful. And very often we don't realize which is which. I can tell you there have been been so many times where I was very certain about a plan, where I was very certain about a mode, method or whatever, and it just failed because I'd never inquired of the Lord for that. And so that's what happens with God or with worldly wisdom. It is destined to fail no matter how successful it may seem at the time. Okay. Now there's small examples of this in the Bible, like for example, the Tower of Babel. Do you remember how these guys really thought it was a great idea to build a tower to reach the heavens and to make a name for themselves? This to them was a great idea. And they seemingly had success for a while. And what was the result? Nothing. Confusion, right? 
a, 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 a disbursement of people and it came to nothing, just failure. Abraham also is a good example of this. He thought it wise to go to Egypt uh, during a famine when the Lord called him to be in Canaan. He says, there's a famine here. I'm just going to go to Egypt. And what happened there? Trouble. He gives his wife up to be married to the Pharaoh. You know, like, how is that smart? How do you think that's going to go, right? The result is trouble. It's, dis it's chaos. King Saul thought it's wise to put armor on David. That's ah, a smart move to do, right? He thought that the armor would really protect him from David, but God had different plans. And then the 12 disciples also, they thought, hey, we should send these people home because there's no way we can feed them. They need to go feed themselves. But Jesus had different plans. He took loaves and fishes and he fed everyone. And so the thing, the point here is that we sometimes think we have a level of wisdom that we're so far from because the wisdom of the Lord does not compare to the wisdom of man. And there's way more examples of this. In fact, the Bible is completely full of these types of examples where man seemingly feels like they're wise and they're just proven uh, wrong over and over because the Lord's wisdom just surpasses all understanding. So what are the roots of man's wisdom? Verse 15, we're going to go to 15 uh, of chapter 3. It says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So the world's wisdom, man's wisdom, does not come from above. And if you keep reading, it says, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is the root of worldly wisdom. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, highlighted that course of this world that's earthly wisdom you see that following the prince of the power of the air uh, and uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience that's the devil <laughs> okay among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body that's the flesh and the mind that and were and, and, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our enemy. We have three enemies, all derived of the same, really, but three methods of it. One, the world, two, the flesh, and the devil. You see that? And if we go back to that verse uh, 15, it says, But it is earthly, the flesh, or I'm sorry, the world unspiritual that's the flesh in fact if we translated that that word can be translated to sensual so so physical desires flesh pleasures uh and demonic devilish right again the wisdom that comes from uh, above is is the wisdom that <laughs> comes down above to above is earthly and spiritual and demonic i got tongue twisted there so that's the wisdom of this world. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 21, let's read this, read this together really quick, says this. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. What is this saying? Is that the wisdom of man considers the wisdom of God to be foolishness. And God uses this seemingly or apparently foolish wisdom to bring forth salvation to mankind. And so what this is important to note is that the wisdom of the earth cannot save us. 
It cannot lead us to a place where we can acquire or attain the wisdom of the Lord for salvation. We cannot be sanctified through the wisdom of the world. So don't confuse, and this is very important to know, knowledge from wisdom of the world, okay? Knowledge is generally good. It's good to learn. Knowledge that we acquire from here on earth is like math, science, uh, history. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. But of course, it requires wisdom to be able to know what to do with that. But I'll tell you this, there's not much wisdom that we can get from this world at all. Okay? We can learn a thing or two here. We can get smart, but there's really not a whole lot of wisdom that we can attain from here. Mankind is capable of unlocking mysteries of the earth and the universe as we have seen. I don't know if you guys have been to an observatory recently, but it's amazing how far scientists have been able to see. But the fact of the matter is, even though we're learning all these things, we don't know what to do with it, right? Like, what are we supposed to do with all that? We don't know, at least not yet. Henry David Thoreau says this, improved means to improved ends. Now, have you noticed that when things advance, they usually take a turn for the worse? You know, a lot of people thought that space travel would be pretty accessible nowadays. How many of you guys saw Back to the Future? I think, what was the year in that movie? 2020 something? You know, like we, we're supposed to... 2020, we're supposed to be having like hovering cars and flying and all these things and have been settled in the moon. That was man's wisdom at the time, right? Obviously, we're not here. Instead, we have these little portable light boxes that gives you access to all of the world's information, which is kind of fantastic. And if you consider it, that's a pretty smart thing to do, right? And many had great aspirations for these things. And absolutely, they have changed the world for the better, but also for the worse, those little devices have made people's lives a misery because of what can be accessed here and because of the separation of genuine relationship and friendships and this facade of them, you know? And so again, the world's wisdom leads generally to destruction, to some kind of improved end is what this man is saying. And so anyone who, lo who loves knowledge, loves to learn, they should really read, in my opinion, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and 2 Corinthians because I thought I was going to dive into Proverbs here and I ended up hanging out in 1 Corinthians a lot because this is exactly what Paul was addressing in this in this book is the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of the Lord. For instance, 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 18 through 19 says, for the word preaching, the, the preaching word of the cross is foolishness, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, and it goes on, I'm going to fast forward here a little bit, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now this is the Lord's promise, you know, and this is why I can confidently say that the world's wisdom will end to nothing. There's nothing there. It's only a facade. It's only an illusion of wisdom. The world often confuses knowledge for wisdom, therefore, um, Man's, man's wisdom is foolishness, you know, in the eyes of God. It, they, they don't know him at all. They think that they know a thing or two, but they're far from it. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God stronger than man. Worldly wisdom is incapable of understanding the wisdom of God, you know? There's no way. In fact, I see, I really like science. I like to uh, watch those, uh, just any kind of video that I can learn from. People are just so quick to just not even consider the wisdom of God. It's not even allowed, you know. That's exactly what this passage is saying. They're incapable of it. 
It just can't go there. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually um, discerned. Worldly wisdom ultimately comes to nothing while godly wisdom endures forever because the world has turned from God. It has lost its wisdom. We have seen it over and over again. Just, just look at the world today. Look at the public school system. We have lost our fear of the Lord. We have lost our wisdom. There's confusion. There's a lot of big problems going on right now. Look at what Proverbs 9:10 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit is insight. What this is saying is no fear in the Lord, no true wisdom. So if we really want to be wise, Proverbs says, get wisdom, we need to start with the fear of the Lord. Now, the root of the worldly wisdom is devilish, and it's demonic, is what the Bible says. Remember, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, Satan deceives Eve, doesn't he? And he does it successfully. And how does he do it? He, he convinces her that she's able to gain the wisdom of God, right? And that's exactly what the world does. It constantly convinces us that we can be, attain a level of wisdom that surpasses others. And the result of that is competition, competition that leads to absolutely nothing. All right? And so we see this example, and Satan convinces Eve of this, and he continues to do this throughout the scriptures. And nobody ever gets wise to surpass the knowledge and the wisdom of, of our Lord, uh, our Creator. And in contrast, you know, the wisdom that uh, is earthly and devilish, in contrast to that, James also gives us good insight. Okay, what is godly wisdom then? What is the wisdom from above? And let's look at verse 17 for that. Verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. So true wisdom is pure wisdom that comes from above, that comes from heaven. The Christian looks up to heaven for all that he needs. We look up to the Lord for every one of our needs. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven, just as our Father is in heaven. His treasures are in heaven. Everything is in heaven. His wisdom is in heaven, and He pours it on us generously. Colossians 3.2 tells us to set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. And so, therefore, Christian wisdom starts from above. We have to start looking up. Christians shouldn't look at the philosophers or philosophies of the world for wisdom. We should look to Christ, who is our source of wisdom. Now, there is a psychologist that I enjoy listening to here and there. His name is Jordan Peterson, right? And one thing that I've noticed is this man has had a level of breakthrough because he considers the scriptures and he draws wisdom from these places. And it makes everything make sense all of a sudden. And so when we draw wisdom from above, we realize, oh my goodness, there's a lot more to life. There's a lot more of meaning and purpose here in our, world, in our worlds. And so we should look to Christ for that wisdom, not the philosophies that originate, that root, that stem up from this world. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I'm going to continue to Colossians 2, 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom, true wisdom, comes from above. Christ is the root of our wisdom. The word of God is the source of our wisdom. You want to get wise? 
read this, right? Look at what Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6 says. See, I have taught you statues and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding. And then Paul instructs Timothy in this way in 2 Timothy 3, 15. He says that the scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation. And so this right here is the source. The root of true spiritual wisdom is God and nothing else. And to get wisdom from any other source is to ask for trouble. Okay? Note that, write that down, highlight it, circle it, cut it out, put it in your pocket, and read it every day. All right? To get wisdom from any other source is to ask for trouble. Now, Let's take a look at what each of these reflect. So now these are the reflections of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Verse uh, 14 in a second. God's wisdom functions different than worldly wisdom. And so we'll see the evidences of false wisdom here versus true. Uh, Verse 14 says this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Huh. This is the result This is what worldly wisdom reflects, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. There's a word that actually combines the two and defines it very well, and that word is envy. Envy comes out of worldly wisdom. And I think uh, this ties to what James was saying in chapter 3.1. A lot of people were selfishly ambitious to be teachers, but they lacked the wisdom to be able to do that because many, I think, would would understand that we have this tendency in the flesh to self-promote. We have to do that. We see it in politics. We see it in the workplace. We see it everywhere. This selfish ambition causes us to self-promote. It would say, hey, this is what I want, right? This is what I'm going to do. And I am bitter or jealous, we can say, of those who have the position that I want. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to attain this. It's a wisdom that's all about self-promotion. If you buy a book at Barnes & Noble or anywhere else that sells books and they're looking at the wisdom section, most of it is on how you could be better. All right? And it's all about how you can climb that ladder and how you can do anything better than your neighbor. Have you heard that song? Anything I can do. No, it's backwards. I think we're being Christians with that song right now. Anything you can do, I can do better. Anything? Oh, whatever. And then they argue, no, you can. Yes, I can. It's a fun song to listen to, actually. That's pretty much our attitudes here in this world, you know? It's like, okay, I see what you got. I'm going to do it better. You know, even in one of our small groups, we said, oh, you're going to be disrespectful. I'm going to be more disrespectful. You know, I'm going to top that. You know, oh, you're going to be, you know, conceited about it. Let me show you how much you're not all that. And so we have this attitude that self promotes. This is the root of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is the fruit. This is what worldly um, uh, wisdom reflects. And so it's easy to get our wheels pumped. That's that's like, you know get bragged about, especially when we're speaking in the Lord's name. You know how awkward it is for me, and a lot of you guys, I'm not poking at you, it's awkward when people say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. Man, you did a great job. You know, it's awkward for me. I just say thank you, you know, praise the Lord, because I didn't tell you anything. (laughs) It's like, well, that was all the scriptures. You know, there was nothing that I shared with you that came from me, but it was all the scriptures. And, and it's very easy to just be kind of have our ego stroked when you hear compliments like that. We all love them. This is why we all thrive when we get likes and thumbs ups when we post things. 
you know, because that self-promotion, that selfish ambition really thrives from that. We want to get the likes. We want to get the subscriptions. We want to be noticed. This is the reflection of worldly wisdom. This is what worldly wisdom pushes. Our desires should be should be for the things of the Lord and not for our own selfish ambition. Now, the wisdom of the world exalts men and robs God of his glory. We need to note that. And this is why God works the way that he does. So many times we wonder, God, why is my life so hard? I, I serve you. Why is my life so hard? Maybe the Lord blesses you and you don't think that way, but the, work, the, the Lord really works in mysterious ways. And 1 Corinthians 1.29 says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When God rules, God rules, right? And there's no way that he's going to give us room to be exalted over him. That's not God, right? So when the wisdom of the world gets into the church, then we have a great deal of self-promotion and human glorification as well. We see this bitter jealousy that could also lead to strife. You know, have you ever been, I don't even want to ask you this question, but there's moments where even churches start bumping heads because someone thinks, that someone else is doing something wrong and that they could do it better. And instead of dealing, it with it, dealing with it biblically, there's this promotion as, hey, that person is doing a terrible job. That person is so wrong in X, Y, C way, and therefore you should follow me and we can start our own thing or whatever it may be. It causes strife. What you're doing is you're creating a rivalry. And this is a product of selfish ambition, of bitter jealousy. So it may seem like a good idea in the moment because that's why people do that. That's why people start rivalries is because they feel like they stand on the right versus the wrong. It may seem like a good idea in the moment, but it ultimately leads to destruction. That's a reflection of worldly wisdom. And if we continue in verse 14, it says bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast. Hmm. Boasting is also a reflection of worldly wisdom. What's boasting? Bragging about yourself, right? Uh, glorying. I wrote glorying. I found out that that's actually a word. Glorying. I wasn't sure. James is saying, do not brag about yourselves. Don't give yourselves glory. Pride loves to boast. Pride loves to say, yeah, I'm all that, right? Nothing is prouder than the wisdom of men and worldly wisdom. So we need to be careful with that. That's not to say that we shouldn't report the Lord's faithfulness and blessings in our lives. So we should still do that. We should, the Revelation says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we can still report the goodness of God in our lives. No problem there. How we do it really matters. We not need to boast in ourselves, but in the Lord. And I think... Uh, 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 Paul does a great job giving an explanation of what this is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's actually asked to boast in his ministry. He's, he's pretty much forced to give a report and, hey, tell us how awesome it went because of what you did. You know, and, and Paul gives a report, but what he does is so great. Everything gives God glory. And that's what we should do. Not boast in ourselves, but in God. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 through 18 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who, uh, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. So the world's wisdom promotes self-boasting, self-exaltation, but not God's wisdom. If we continue to verse 14, we have earth, uh, uh, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and do not be false to the truth. False to the truth. That's deceit, dishonesty, lies. All right. Now, 
Look at this. See if you can catch the chain of reaction here. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition lead to rivalry in order to win the position or whatever it is that you're trying to sell or, or gain. And so to be able to win that position, you have to boast of yourself. You have to promote yourself. There's self-promotion. And in order to promote yourself well, you kind of bend the truth a lot. You know, you say things that are not really true just to make you look better or to make someone else look bad. And so this is kind of the chain reaction here. And it all stems from worldly wisdom. And, in, and we've all seen lies come to light, haven't we? Like a lot of politicians are great examples. They say things just to get elected. And then we realize, ah, you were kidding. You were kidding. You really didn't mean what you say. But the Lord is faithful and he reveals these things. First Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring you or who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The Lord will bring to light all that you think is hidden. I have said this before. I will say it again. I've tried to be sneaky in my life and it's never worked. I've been caught every time. You know, if, if not immediately, very soon after. It's just, I can't lie. You know, because the Lord loves me. And even when I try to be deceiving, the Lord brings it to light. And then I have to go through this process of repentance. And that's a good thing, right? But the Lord is faithful in that. And so, okay, that's enough of worldly wisdom nonsense, don't you think? Let's move into uh, what the true heavenly wisdom reflects. Verse 13. Verse 13 uh, says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Hmm. Going back to chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you guys should become teachers. He says, okay, who's wise? Show me, right? If you're wise, if you walk in wisdom, show it. Live it. Don't just explain it. Don't just uh, 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 throw words out, but live it. Walk in it, you know, and it says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. And it says, in the meekness of salvation. That is a reflection of godly wisdom. Meekness of wisdom, right there is what it says. Meekness is not weakness. It's the power to control. It's the power to be under control. And it's a very important attribute of the Christian. The meek person does not step into the spotlight, and he or he does not look for or seek for selfish assertion. Assertion. You know, another word for meekness is gentleness. They're very similar, but they still have their differences. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, uh, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But the phrase meekness of wisdom is really interesting. And when I was reading this, I thought, wow, that's really cool. This is an expression of the right use of power. Meekness of wisdom. In other words, you're wise and therefore you're weak. Uh, meek, sorry. It's not weakness, it's meekness. In other words, you have the potential to do something devastating, but you're choosing to put it under control and you're responding in meekness. That's the meekness of wisdom. It's an expression of the right use of power. The Lord wisdom wants us to put to good news, to good use the knowledge that we have. It is an attitude that we need to, uh, ex uh, I, I would say, exhort, but really just uh, express. Meekness is a beautiful thing, and it is um, 
a reflection of the wisdom that comes from above. Another reflection of godly wisdom is purity, verse 17. Is it verse 17? Yes. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. First pure, then peaceable. That is very important. First pure. Uh, pure first means to be stainless, without blemish, perfect, clean, set apart from contamination. Another word for that is holy. God is holy, therefore his wisdom is holy, it's pure. God's wisdom leads to purity. His wisdom purifies our lives, and we'll see more of that in a bit. The world's wisdom leads, leads us astray from purity. It actually contaminates us more than we even realize it. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure, and pure devotion to Christ. Our thoughts being our flesh, our sensual desires, this enemy that we have is cunning enough from keep us from being pure. And so purity is something good. It is the wisdom of the Lord is pure. And so we saw that uh, the world's wisdom leads to competition and rivalry, yes, but God's wisdom leads to purity and peace. And that's the next one is then peaceable. In verse 17, we read that peace we spoke of this peace during the Advent season. It's not just peace with God, but it's also peace with others. A wise person pursues peace, no matter the cost. They want peace. The peace of the church is not more important than purity, though. And that's very important to know. Because a lot of us will strive for peace and we'll do whatever it takes to attain peace. But the wisdom of the Lord says first purity, then peace. So we do not strive for peace, putting at risk the purity, the holiness of God. We consider the holiness of God first, and then we make peace. So this is not something where we say, okay, you know what? The Bible says that we should do X, Y, Z, but for the sake of peace, we're not going to do it. This is exactly what the scripture is saying right now. No, it's not at that expense. If the Bible says X, Y, Z, then X, Y, Z, it shall be. Okay. And then we look for a way to be peaceful with one another in that regard. <clears throat> Isaiah 32, 17 says, And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. It's a promise of the Lord. Righteousness is the result of wisdom, and that also leads to peace. So we can trust the Lord for that. Man's wisdom says, lie about it so that there's peace. Cover it up. Right? God's wisdom says, confess your sin, and my peace will keep you together. If you continue in verse 17, the other word is gentle. Be gentle. Uh, God's wisdom uh, promotes gentleness. Gentleness is another reflection of godly wisdom. It's like meekness. We talked about that. It's a sweet disposition. This is the result of the wisdom of the Lord. A gentle person does not cause fights. A gentle person does not promote fights. It's not the kid that's going, fight, 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 right? A gentle person is going to do whatever to maintain that sense of peace, that sense of tranquility, that love between our neighbors. Gentleness is the result of meekness and purity. And I, and I had a, a pastor who we used to call the Velvet Hammer. He exemplified this very well. Pastor Neil Watson. He was a very meek and very gentle person, but he would not compromise the truth. He would tell you, um, I think you're being an idiot right now. And, but he would say really kindly and really gently, as we call them the velvet hammer. You know, that's a good example of what uh, the Lord's wisdom does. It, it makes us effective, but without being uh, 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 quarrelsome. 
Another reflection of God's wisdom is reasonableness. Open to reason, says other translations say submissive, willing to yield, compliant, etc. God's wisdom makes the believer agreeable and easy to be around with, and worldly wisdom makes people stubborn and hard. And so this is a very important thing for us to, to, to learn here. The reasonable person, reasonable person, according to James 1.19, is quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's a reasonable person, someone who will consider other people's opinions, consider their knowledge, consider where they are, and respond in a way that does not promote any kind of quarreling. So they could disagree without fighting. This is an agreeable person. This is someone who is open to reason. The next thing is to be full of mercy. The Lord's wisdom fills us with mercy, and we are controlled by the Holy Spirit to be merciful. Luke says, chapter 6, 36 says, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Now this means that uh, we need to be merciful even when it doesn't make sense for us to be merciful because the Lord Father was merciful to us and it didn't make sense for him to be merciful to us. Do you see how that works? And so regardless of our feelings and our thoughts against the other person, the Lord commands us to be merciful as our Father is merciful. The next thing in verse 17 we see is good fruits. People who are faithful are fruitful. All right, if you're faithful, if you're learning of the wisdom of the Lord, you're going to produce good fruit. This is the Lord's promise. Wisdom is practical. It changes lives. It produces fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I feel like that's a mic drop. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Godly wisdom reflects good fruits. It also reflects impartiality. <clears throat> and that's the next thing, to be impartial. Now this, I had to define it to make sense of it a little bit more. And this is a singleness of mind. It's the opposite of wishy-washy. Someone who just knows the truth and they stand on it. When you have the Lord's wisdom, you can bank on it. You don't have to be uh, uh, wavering in your decisions. You know right from wrong, you know truth from false, and you move forward in that. You're impartial in that way. This is the outcome of the wisdom of the Lord and not worldly. And then finally, there's to be sincere. God's wisdom brings forth sincerity. When the world's wisdom is at work, there may be insincerity and you may uh, make yourself to be something that you're not. You know, it's self-promotion. You lie about yourself. It's kind of like the word hypocrite comes from the person who used to wear a mask in theater. That was a hypocrite. That's not really that person, right? And this is the result of worldly wisdom. We pretend, we make this facade, we try to convince people that we are something that we're not. But God's wisdom allows us to be genuine and true and sincere, right? We, can, we have full confidence in the Lord and we don't have to worry about what people necessarily think of us. It's what God thinks of us. <coughs> Excuse me. And so... <clears throat> Kind of going back to truth and love, if you were with me back in the summer, we did a series, Truth and Love, together, we can do that. You know, the, world, the world's wisdom prevents people to be able to have those types of interactions, but God's wisdom allows us to speak truth and love together. It's so important, it's so possible. And I just wanna close with this. I know that probably uh, pushing my time limit here, the results of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Verse 16 says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambi ambition exists, there will be disorder 
and every vile practice. That's the result of worldly wisdom. Disorder and every vile practice. In other words, worldly wisdom results in trouble. That's what the word says. This is the reason why the world is such a mess right now. Because the world is not considering the wisdom of God. They're making up their own wisdom. They're making up their own rules. They're making up their own whatever. And what does it lead to? Confusion, instability, chaos, right? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so today we see just so many issues because we have fallen away from the true uh, wisdom that we find in our scriptures from our creator. This is the result of worldly wisdom. And I dare say that it is ultimately worthless, according to what I'm seeing here. Worldly wisdom is just worthless. <clears throat> However, godly wisdom produces a blessing. Verse 18, we'll close with this. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is in regard to the wisdom from above. There's a harvest of righteousness. A harvest is the product of life, is what people work for, because out of it comes forth seeds for the next harvest, and so on and so forth. It is a blessing to be, a, be a, a instructed by the wisdom of the Lord. It it, promote, it, it it creates more fruit. It results in more fruit, more abundance, more harvest, more blessing. This is a true blessing to be able to partake in this. The Christian life is constantly sowing and reaping. And so is the other ones, <laughs> right? But, and God is very mindful of what we are sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that's very important to note. Eternal life is only granted through Jesus Christ. Paul states this clearly in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says that the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And all wisdom comes from God and his word, which is also in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, breathed out by God and profitable for training, for reproof, for correction, and for, and for training, for teaching training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Lord's wisdom brings us to salvation. It allows us to be able to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And Jesus made it very clear that he was the only way he is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father. In other words, no one gets eternal life apart from Him. And the wisdom of God allows us to be able to see that, to be able to understand that, to be able to rejoice in that truth. The world's wisdom prevents us from doing such. So, let me ask you this. Where are you getting your wisdom? I'm going to ask you the question that James asked the people he wrote to. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That question's for you, it's for me. And here's your takeaway for today. Where you get your wisdom matters, and it matters for eternity. So where are you getting your wisdom? What are those high things that you're looking for? What are those things that you're trying to achieve? By what means and where are you acquiring your wisdom from? Because where you get it matters 
and it does matter, in fact, for eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Lord, help us uh, with this, Father. Help us be consumed by your word, Lord Jesus, in your wisdom. That we may see, Father, this, the wonders and the majesty, Lord Jesus, of your nature. That we will be able to see your character more and more and reflect it better. Lord, help us, Father, draw from you a deep well, Father, that never dries out. Help us put away the things that used to define us. Help us put away the wisdoms and the philosophies and whatever it is that we've learned from the world, Lord Jesus, and help us really know what to do with the knowledge that you have given us, that we would be able to move wisely, Father, forward. And thank you for your word that instructs us, that corrects us, that teaches us, that is just so faithful, Father, in instructing us, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would help us be wise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.